Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. As student pastor, Justin Stevers shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Amen. Let's pray before diving into it. God, you are so good to us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for bringing us here tonight. And I pray we will feel your presence. We will experience how close you are. We will be sensitive to your spirit and that we will just enjoy you and glorify you tonight. Speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you're like me, you might sometimes find yourself scrolling through your phone a bit longer than you expected, and you'll see some videos pop up, and they're the most random videos in the world. But somehow, those videos will just suck you in, right? Those, those videos... Uh, the algorithms are just way too good, and China and whoever's behind these apps, they just know how to brainwash you and keep you on your phone. And those videos just suck you in, and you start scrolling a lot longer than you intend to. Maybe, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's not you guys, but um, I've seen some of the youth's screen time. I know that's you. Um, but one set of random videos, I just see, saw a few of these videos, and like I said, the most random, these have no business being interesting, and these have no business taking my time, but somehow they do, and I was watching these videos, and it's this, this younger guy, and all he has in his house are refurbished, pristine 1950s appliances, Right, so his, his washing machine is this old 1950s beautiful washing machine. His, his refrigerator is this old beautiful Cadillac looking refrigerator. And he shows off these things and, and um, thousands, millions of people like them and watch them. I'm, maybe some of you guys have seen them. But he talks about why. Why does he use a 1950s refrigerator? And he says, well, the build quality is just insanely, infinitely better than a refrigerator today. I thought I would get some amens. Uh, well, checkmate, does his refrigerator have a smart screen on it that I can talk to Alexa and watch Netflix? No, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, but he says, the, the, I mean, you know, back in my day, they, they, they built things to last, right? They built these refrigerators that he has to manually defrost and like chisel out ice every three months or so. But this thing is a solid piece of steel. This thing is chromed out. It is steel all around. It has porcelain on the inside. This thing was meant to survive a nuclear explosion and still work. Your, your Christmas ham is still in there, uh, cold as ice and a little freezer burnt. But they used to build things to last. And in our passage today, Paul is going to show us how important it is to build a church to last, to build the church to last, and to last with the goal of glorifying God for eternity. So with that being said, 
If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, you can start flipping to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. If you get to 2 Corinthians or the book of Maps, you've gone too far. But we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As you're flipping, it's been a minute since we've been in 1 Corinthians. Actually, I, I meant to say this at the beginning. I haven't seen you guys since last year. Ha, ha, ha. You know? Um, I'm sorry. I, I made that joke like 20 times on Wednesday at youth. Um, but it's been so long since we've been in 1 Corinthians. Uh, just a little refresher. Paul is writing this letter, the letter of 1 Corinthians, to a church in Corinth. And he is writing a letter to this messed up church. This church is doing basically nothing right. And Paul is reminding them and warning them that they are longing to follow the surrounding culture, but Paul is saying that we need to follow the countercultural risen Savior, Christ. The church, this church in Corinth has been plagued with disunity because of, of their love for culture. Uh, the culture at that time said, your reputation, your value, your worth is based on the person you follow, right? So they were saying, I want the coolest pastor, therefore, so my worth could be better. So I follow Apollos. Some would say, I follow Paul. Some would say, I follow Peter. They wanted to stake their worth on these humans, on these men, and Paul's saying, no, put your worth in Christ. Put your focus on Christ, and in unity, follow him together. And then last time, many moons ago, in the beginning of chapter three, we covered uh, that Paul said, I want to speak to you guys like adults. I want to speak to you guys like mature Christians, but I have to stoop down and speak to you like babies. You guys are suffering from big baby syndrome, baby BBS, right? And I want to talk to you about spiritual things, but you're, you're just focused on living and, and, and focused on fleshly things. And then he goes on to illustrate how, don't follow me or Apollos, all we are is is servants. He gives a, a, a farming analogy. He says, Apollos and Paul, all that they did for the church was to serve. All that they did was to be helpers to the farmer. God was the one who did the work. And that leads us to Paul. He's now going to give a second illustration in our verses today. It was an agricultural illustration. Now he's going to a architectural illustration and he's going to say that God God's plan is to build a church for towards the goal of eternity so with that in mind I think you're flipped to 1 Corinthians so if you have your Bible if you're flipped there let's go ahead and stand as we read God's word together 1 Corinthians chapter 3 we're going to be in Really, the, the last part of verse 9 through 17. This is where, the last part of 9 is where he kind of 
uh, shifts the metaphor. Paul says, ye are God's husbandry, or field. Ye are God's building, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. All right, you can have a seat. So in this passage, we see that God is building up his people. Um, at my home church, we didn't really have um, a lot of Southern gospel music, but uh, we had a couple who, they actually, I think, way back in the day, used to like tour around singing Southern gospel. And there's one song, I was talking with Pastor Dean about this, there was one song, the only song I remember. Actually, this is, this is the couple who gave me such a disdain a distrust of false endings in songs where you know how Southern gospel songs go and they, they go, 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 and then they stop and then everyone starts clapping and then they wind it back up again. And it's like, ha ha, joke's on you, audience, you losers. You thought we were done. And it's the dumbest thing ever. But they would do that. Um, but they were uh, great at what they did, I guess. But uh, they would sing the song, God's Building a Church. Only song I know, I have no idea what the words are though because uh, his name was John. He had such a deep and awesome bass voice. If there was, is there something lower than bass in music? Uh, extra bass. Um, he had subsonic bass. And you know, Melba would sing, God's building a church. And then John, I had no idea what he was saying, but it sounded good. <laughs> and I, I, that was stuck in my head one day, and Pastor Dean got so mad at me for not knowing the words. Um, but those are the words in my reality. Uh, anyway, but in this passage, God's building a church. He is building his people for his glory, and we must be faithful to work towards that end, doing things his way rather than our way. So today, we're going to look at three crucial elements of building the church for eternity. But before we dive into those three elements, I have to say this up front. I have to get this out of the way up front. I think all of us know, or many of us know, the old rhyme. Kids on the playground say, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, 
and see all the people, right? You guys know this? And they're always dancing for some reason. That's not my kind of church. No, I'm just kidding, sorry. Well, I hope when Haddon hears this on the playground for the first time, in kindergarten or whenever, that he lovingly and sternly rebukes that little false teacher in their horrendous theology. When that person says, here's the church, they're a liar. Here's the steeple, okay, that's true. But here's the church, this isn't the church, we all know, this is the church, right? This building is not the church, this, the people, is the church. Those who are Christians, those who are saved, baptized into Christ, gathering regularly as he commanded to read the Bible, preach the Bible, sing the Bible, pray the Bible, and live out the Bible, that is the church. This, this building, this building is not the church. This building that we're sitting in right now can burn down tomorrow, and Central Baptist Church can, would still be alive and would still gather to worship our Lord. This building isn't the house of the Lord. This church is the house of the Lord, as we see in verse 16. And I get really passionate about this. I'll sometimes daydream, and I'll daydream that I'm this, you know, edgy, cool, rebellious graffiti artist, right? And if I were an edgy, cool, rebellious graffiti artist, I wouldn't, like, spray paint my initials or some sort of like symbol on walls or or I always see them on train cars. Like I I wouldn't do that. I would go around to every church in the city. I would find their sign and right behind their name, right underneath their name, I would just put two words, meets here. Central Baptist Church meets here. First Baptist Church meets here. That's, that's all I would do. If I was an edgy, rebellious graffiti artist, that's it. I would just say, this isn't Central Baptist Church. This is the meeting place of Central Baptist Church. This is Central Baptist Church. But I'm just, you know, an edgy and goofy guy, right? Um, but I would do that just to emphasize this point, that the people is the church, not the building. So with that out of the way, We were already on the same page. I could feel it. But just to make sure, with that out of the way, now that we're on the same page, Paul is talking about building the church, the church, right, that will last like that 1950s refrigerator, that will last through a nuclear bomb. Maybe not literally, but uh, a church that will glorify God. So let's look at the three elements of building this church, this God-glorifying, eternally-focused church. And the first element Paul talks about here is the church's foundation, which is Christ. Like I said earlier, Paul is shifting from a agricultural analogy, a farming analogy, to an architectural analogy. And in this picture, Paul is painting the point that the church is the temple of God. The church is the place where God uniquely dwells on earth. Paul says, according to the grace that God has given him, verse 10, 
according to the grace God has given him, not according to Paul's strength or wisdom or whatever, but according to God's grace, he has laid a foundation as a wise, as a skilled master builder. Now, this term master builder doesn't mean like he's, he's just the best builder around. It's a, it's a technical term. It's someone on a job site who is the head, right? It's like the project manager. So Paul is saying, I'm the master builder. I'm the project manager. I'm the one who receives the blueprint from the owner and the architect, and I just followed that, and I helped lead the construction. And Paul says, he laid down the foundation by God's grace. He laid the correct and the true foundation that we must stand on, and that foundation is Christ alone. He says, if there is any other foundation, verse 11, if there's any other foundation, no man can build on that. No, no man can lay any other foundation because the foundation is Christ. If there's another foundation, that, that building, that, that temple that he's building, that, that group that he's starting is not a church. I think we can think of examples of, of people who build on other foundations, right? I can think of, I was thinking of uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, Right? Instead of the foundation of the Christ from the Bible, they've built on the foundation of failed prophecies and false Christs. Christs who were created beings or Christ who was a man and then became a God. But the biblical Christ, the biblical foundation is a Christ who is fully God, eternally God, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, and self-existent, never created, always God, person of the Trinity. And this is what God's will, God's word tells us. And there are groups and movements today and through history that try to build on experiences, emotions, philosophies, personalities. But the church, the one true church, the church of God is always built on Christ, must be built on Christ can't be built on anything else but Christ alone. And the church can only be the true church if it's built on the foundation of Christ. And you can only be a member of the true church if you build your life on the foundation of Christ. So is your life built on Christ? That means that you have recognized that you were created by a holy and a perfect God, that he is the king of the universe, that you owe your allegiance to him, but in Adam and Eve, we've all fallen. We've all fallen short. We've all, we're born sinners. We all were born enemies of God. We're all born constantly rebelling against him, against the good and loving king, and that means we deserve his wrath, his just wrath. But, God loved the world so much, right, that he gave his only son to live the perfect life we couldn't live, to die on the cross as a substitute for sinners, taking their punishment, to raise from the dead, defeating sin, defeating death, and then he'll one day return again, making all things new, bringing his people to glory and judging those who remain in their rebellion. That Christ, if we 
build our life on him, if we turn from our sins, if we turn from our own foundations and put our trust, put our life, build our lives on him alone, then we will find true life. We will find true and eternal life, true and eternal joy, true and eternal satisfaction that's uncomparable. So we must turn from trusting our own foundations and trust Christ for our salvation, giving our whole life to him as king. That's, that's the gospel. That's what we all must do in order to enter the true church. And now, if you've entered the true church already, if you've already built your life on the foundation of Christ, does it look like you've built your life on the foundation of Christ? Does your life look like you are living your life according to the blueprint that God provided us? Are you following his architectural blueprint? Not just, not just some of it, not just picking and choosing. Okay, God, I'll build my life on you on Sundays and Wednesdays, but then, you know, Fridays and Saturdays, those are for me. Or, you know, not, not ignoring uh, the areas you need to work on while celebrating the areas you're great at. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good at going to church. I'm good at doing my quiet times. I don't say bad words, but the whole time you're ignoring glaring sins of gossip, lust, or a quick temper. If your life is built on the foundation of Christ, do everything you can to live it out. Live authentically to that foundation. Live authentically to him. Build your life on Christ as your foundation and build your church on Christ as its foundation. Which brings us to the second element of building a church, and that is the building which is us. So Paul says that because he has laid the good and the true and the sure foundation, the foundation that will not fail, because he's laid that foundation, those who build on it should be careful on how they build on it. Those who build on the foundation should take heed. Well, who is building on this foundation? I think immediately right here, Paul is specifically talking about some of some church leaders in Corinth who followed after him and Apollos who might not be building so carefully. But also, we see here and I think throughout scripture that it's all of our responsibility to be faithfully building the church on the foundation of Christ together. So we are both, we are the building which is weird, I just told you the church, the building is not the church, uh, but Paul's using it as a metaphor. We are the building, but we're also doing the building. We are the noun building, and we are also building as a verb. So we're like a self-building building by the power of God. God working through us, the architect, the enabler, the one who empowers us, works through us to build this building. And we are responsible in how we build it. So these builders, church leaders, you, me, should build according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. Take your fingers, put them in the air, wave them like you just don't care. Now put it on verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, 
or wood, hay, stubble. 13, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So Paul shows us two categories of building materials here, right? We see two categories. The first one, we see gold, silver, precious stones. And the second one, we see wood, hay, and stubble or straw. The first category shows us someone who is building by the Spirit, someone who's building by faith, trusting that God and his blueprint is going to work correctly, right? Trusting that God and his blueprint is the right way. God is a good architect, and and this builder trusts the process and is faithful to that blueprint. Then there's the other builder. This is the person who, who buys furniture from Amazon. This is the person who buys that furniture from Amazon, um, a day bed from Amazon. Is that the, that's the bed that looks like a couch, right? We have that? Yeah, okay. So he buys a day bed from Amazon, and he opens up that box. He sees the instructions, and he chucks it. He throws away. He, he tries to eyeball everything and the task of building this stupid, horrible daybed is off to a good start. He's zooming through it because he didn't have to stop and read this stupid little instruction booklet. Who needs that? He's zooming through it. He has early success, and then 45 minutes in, he starts noticing that he's missing pieces. And, and he can't find pieces. Well, that's okay. He can just improvise. So he, he just jams things in different places and he makes a few extra holes he goes on and on and then bam there's a daybed easy as pie it's finished but he didn't build according to the blueprint he trusted his own wisdom and his own methods and he made something that looks fine it looks like a daybed that that he saw on the website but guess what there's coming a day or someone is going to trust that daybed. Someone's going to see it, and it looks like a couch, so I want to sit on it. And that someone's going to sit on the daybed. And when that someone goes to sit down, it's going to come crumbling down. The day of reckoning has come to that stupid, horrible daybed. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. Um, I hate building things from Amazon. But the day of reckoning came. The, there, there was a day, and it showed the quality of the work. Well, there's coming a day that will reveal the quality of the work in the churches. Churches, even Bible-believing, well-intending churches are tempted to eyeball, are tempted to improvise and rely on their own wisdom. There's a constant temptation to be innovative. There's a constant temptation to be attractive, to pander towards certain generations' preferences, both young and old. The the temptation to build community through superficial interests or to blindly follow tradition. And when churches try to eyeball and improvise, we, though well-intended, that we mean well, 
we start building with materials like wood and hay and stubble. And there is coming a day, verse 13, that the fire will show what material we are building with. The fire will show who we were trusting. And this fire in verse 13 uh, has been interpreted, it, it, it's, it's not the fire of hell. It's been interpreted by some to mean uh, the trials of time, the tribulations of life here on earth, uh, the different persecutions, the different temptations of the church that, that can choke out the church and reveal what it was building with. And we've seen and we've heard news stories of, or just know from experience, churches that believe the Bible, that preach the gospel, but they built too heavily on the personality of a pastor, right? And they built so heavily on that pastor's personality, and one day, that pastor leaves. One day, he steps down. One day, he retires. And on that day, the church leaves, steps down, and retires with them. While that is the reality, and times and trials will reveal the nature of the church, just like Jesus talks about um, in the parable of the sower, Paul isn't necessarily talking about that as the fire here. Paul is ultimately and fully talking about the fire that will be revealed on the day of judgment. And verse 14 shows that if our works stand firm, if we built in faith our life and our church, if we built in faith with spiritual gold and precious stones, then we will receive a reward. And again, this reward isn't salvation because we see in verse 15, the other person does not receive the reward, but he is saved. So what is this reward? Well, uh, Paul doesn't say, but um, one of my favorite commentators, uh, Tom Schreiner, he, he was saying this could be the reward could be the joy and the satisfaction in eternity, looking back, seeing the day of judgment, revealing our works, that we will have joy and satisfaction. We will see all the fruit that the Lord produced. We will receive an immeasurable riches of joy from seeing how the Lord worked in and through us. And that is rewarding in itself. And we see an example of that as Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this day of fire revealing our works is encouraging to us as Christians. Christian, do you ever feel alone? Do you ever feel like you're living for Christ and there's nothing to show for it? Do you feel like you are faithful to pray, that you were trying so hard and diligently to pray, but there's nothing to show for your prayers? Do you feel like you serve and you serve, you help and you help, you love others like Jesus loves you, but you don't get any recognition, you don't get a thank you, you don't see fruit? No one notices your hard work. There's encouragement knowing that the Lord sees you. The Lord knows your works. The Lord is with you in your faithful service. And the day of fire 
is going to reveal the fruit of your labor. The day of fire is going to reveal and, and give you and show you the immeasurable riches that you've given to other people. And you will be rewarded with unthinkable joy that will make the burdens of this world look like anthills. So be encouraged because your king sees you even when no one else does. And then we see in verse 15, the person who doesn't build well, the person who builds on his own strength, who builds in his own power, verse 15, he will suffer loss. He won't get to experience that joy and satisfaction. He won't get to experience that reward. And he will see wasted efforts and wasted opportunities. But he himself will be saved. And this shows us that it's possible to be a Christian, to be a true Bible-believing, to be a true Christian alive in Christ. It's possible, possible to be a Christian, but still waste your life. It's possible to be a Christian and not make an eternal impact at all. And that should scare us. That should shock us. That should wake us up. I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be you. So how do we avoid wasting our lives? How do we make an eternal impact and produce eternal fruit that glorifies our God? We build our lives with precious stones of faith. We give ourselves over to intentional and urgent prayer. We kill the weight and the sin that clings so closely to us. We live in the Bible like our lives depend on it. We love and we encourage and we serve the church like you would love and encourage and serve your spouse and your family. And we share the gospel with our words and with our actions. So make an eternal impact by being different from the world, being different from the wisdom of the world and live according to God's blueprint. So build your life and build this church with the beautiful stones of faith, relying on his spirit and his word, not our feelings or preferences or traditions. And then that'll bring us to our third element, the purpose of the building. What is the purpose of this building? And it is to dwell with God and to glorify him. So we aren't building just a random house. We aren't building a random monument. We are building a temple. The place where God chooses to uniquely dwell with his people on earth. So God is omnipresent everywhere, right? God is everywhere but God chooses to uniquely intensify his presence in holy places like we see in the Old Testament in the tabernacle, in the temple. He uniquely dwells with his people, pointing forward to the day where we will be with God. He will be our God and we shall be his people forever and ever, standing perfectly in his presence. And this building is the temple, the purpose of a temple is to show off the glory of God every day of our lives. And remember, the, the church steeple people, this is the temple. Not this, 
This is the temple. Not the building, not the sanctuary. Us, the people, is where the Spirit dwells. Now, Paul isn't talking about personal, individual dwelling of the Spirit now. We do believe that the Bible teaches that once you are saved, you are indwelt by the Spirit. We do not, we deny that there's some second baptism of the Spirit. Um, I think the Bible is very clear that there, you are baptized in the Spirit the moment you are saved. But Paul isn't talking about individual dwelling here. He's talking about us as a corporate body of believers coming together. He is uniquely dwelling with us right now in a way that he's not dwelling with us as we're apart. Now, he is dwelling with us individually, yes, but there's a uniqueness, there's an intensity to him dwelling with us here. So we are the temple. This is the dwelling place of God. In the Old Testament, we see how beautiful the temple is. We see how it's built with gold and silver and precious stones. And the beauty is partly to illustrate God's glory, to show off how good he is. And uh, people will say things like, well, we see how, how much God cared about that temple, so we should care about the church and how it looks. Um, well, I agree, but I think whoever usually says that is confusing the church with the church, right? The building with the church. I agree. God does care how his church is built, how his church looks, how his church is uniquely built up. But he doesn't necessarily care about the aesthetic of a building. He doesn't necessarily care about the decorations of a building. While those things are good, those things are going to be ugly in 10 years, what God cares about is you adorning your life as the temple of God with gold and silver and precious stones. Living by faith, showing off God with your good works. So adorn your life with these precious gold, silver, precious stones of living faith. Love those around you. Serve those in need. James 1.27 says, this is pure and undefiled religion that you look out for the widows and the orphans and that you keep yourself unstained from the world. So let us decorate our life and show the world how good our God is. Then Paul gives a third builder who isn't a builder but a destroyer in this passage in verse 17, the first person builds well, the second person builds poorly, the third person is trying to destroy the temple, and Paul gives a warning. If you try to destroy the temple with false teachings, with trying to divide the church, that God will destroy you. God will bring judgment on you. This shows how seriously God takes us as his people. So don't tolerate these destructive things in your life. Don't tolerate these destructive things in the church. And be careful to cling to Christ. Know your purpose. Glorify him by sticking with his plan. And then we as Central Baptist Church, we as members of the universal church, will make an eternal impact and receive the joy of that great reward. Thank you.
Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.